before we get right into that Hebrews passage, I just wanted to read the words of Jesus. Jesus talks about faith in uh, his ministry here on earth several times. He is trying to train his disciples to have faith, to put their faith in him. And so in Matthew chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 23, there's this incident where Jesus calms a storm. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You see this little crossword puzzle here, uh, faith over fear. That's what I'm asking the Lord to help me to live into. And I hope that us as a church, we can live into it. Because there's lots of things to make us afraid, aren't there? Lots of storms. Whether it's COVID, the Delta, the this, the that, whether it's, you know, unemployment, whether it's uh, difficulties with your health, there's lots of things that can make us afraid. But Jesus calls us to have faith in him, to put our faith, all of it, in him. And Abraham is called the father of our faith. Often we don't think of it that way because we're, we're kind of like uh, the New Testament people, we're the Jesus people, and we kind of think that everything started with Jesus, but it actually didn't. It started with the creation of the world and God's plan. And one of the main men of faith that he used is this man named Abraham. His name was actually Abram, and so sometimes when you read in Scripture, it's Abram, the, the abbreviated version, but then God changed it uh, to be Abraham. Why is Abraham called the father of all who believe? Well, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. His faith translated into a right relationship with God. This is... The reason he's the father of our faith is because when we put our faith in Jesus, it also is credited to you as righteous, as righteousness. When you put your faith, when you ask Jesus to come into your life, to wash you of your sins, to give you new life, and to give you his spirit, you have now placed your faith in God, in Christ, and you receive righteousness. So Abram is the first one who we see here in this passage that, that is going to take up a lot more time than some of the other ones that we looked at last week. I don't know if you remember, but when, I, when we were kids, there was a song that we sang, and um, I, I wonder if you could sing it with me this morning. Uh, it's called Father Abraham. Do you remember it? It goes like this. You can, you, we got some slides for you. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons said, Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. 
So let's just praise the Lord. And then you remember it was like right hand, you know, right, right arm, left arm, right foot, left. I'm not that coordinated, so we're not going to do that part. But this idea that we are all children of Abraham sometimes gets pushed to the back of the closet. It's like an outfit you don't wear anymore. But I want you to wear it. God wants us to wear it. God wants us to identify ourselves and our walk of faith with him, with our father Abraham. And so we're going to study him this morning so that we can understand, you know, not just that crazy song that we, we, we like to sing. It was fun as a kid. We liked it because it ended with turn around, sit down, right? And it was like, I think the Sunday school teacher's uh, salvation, right? She let you get all your movement out and then it's like, turn around, sit down. Now we're going to pray or have our snack or whatever, you know. Um, but it was a great song because it, 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 it beat into our heads this truth that everybody who believes in Jesus Christ is a child of Abraham. We often say a child of God. There's lots of songs about that to tell us that we're a child of God. And we are, and Abraham was as well and is as well. But we are children of Abraham. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are a son or daughter of Abraham. You have been grafted into his family tree. So this, this was obvious to the hearers of this sermon in Hebrews, the people who were preached this message for the first time because they were Jews who had come to Christ. They always identified with Abraham as the father of their faith. The original hearers of this message in Hebrews, they didn't need a review session like we're having. Who is Enoch? Who is Noah? You know, who is Abel? We, we have to review because it's not so ingrained in, in all of our society and all of everything that we've learned. But for these hearers, that's what they had grown up knowing. We have to take some time to remember that these Old Testament people are uh, who they are and why they're important to our understanding of what it means to live our lives by faith. They teach us things through their lives and God uses that to expand our faith and to help us to grow. Abraham, of course, gets the largest section of the preacher's message here in chapter 11. Abraham is known as the founder or the first patriarch of Judaism. And here's his family tree. So Abraham married Sarah. They had a child, Isaac. Isaac married Rebecca. He had a son, Jacob. And then there's the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? So Israel was born through Abraham. Abraham's the grandfather of all those boys, the great-grandfather of all those boys. So it's important for us to remember that he's the founder of Judaism and because Judaism grew out of, I mean Christianity grew out of Judaism, um, it, he's the founder of our faith as well. So Jewish people had always tried to live according to the example that Abraham gave them. He's vital in their history as the, the first point of contact between God and them as a nation. And it was through Abraham that the idea of the promised land or a homeland for the Jewish people was actually created. Abraham is given a high position of respect, not just in Judaism, but also in Christianity and Islam. 
That's over four billion people who in their religious life, in their walk with God, in whatever sect or group that they're in, they revere Abraham. They, they understand that God did something very special through this man. Now, their understanding may not be correct, but at least they understand where Abraham fits in this relationship with God and with mankind. Abraham, even today, is someone who is revered around the world. This is how this fulfillment of the prophecy, the promise that God gave, that Abraham would be the father of many nations. So remember, the focus for us as Christians is not on Abraham. We don't worship Abraham as a person. We worship Jesus. The focus is to stay on Jesus as we go through this this time of, of understanding these Old Testament people. We never had to get distracted by them. They're to help us to see Jesus more clearly. So our focus of our faith is on Jesus and Jesus alone. So next slide, Andrea. God wants us to be a people of faith. He wants us to understand what it means to put our faith in Jesus and to live lives of faith. And so he chose Abraham as an example of what faith looks like. Now, we're not Abraham. We're not going to live lives exactly like Abraham, but we can live according to the faith that Abraham helped to display. So what is it about Abraham's faith that we need to understand? That's the question as we approach this passage. Well, first of all, it is important for us to realize that it wasn't what Abraham did so much, but it was why he did what he did that makes him a good example. Let me say that again. It wasn't exactly what he did, because like I said, we're not going to go and do what he did, right? We're not, we're, but why did he do what he did? Why did he follow God in that way? And can we learn to follow God in the same way? You see, just like Abel that we looked at last week and Enoch, Abraham didn't really do all that much. He didn't build any big mansions. He didn't didn't settle any cities. He didn't build any temples to God. He didn't even own any property except for this one piece of property, a cave that he bought from the Hittites where he he could bury his wife Sarah. So, It wasn't what he had, the property that he owned, the real estate that he was able to acquire, because he didn't have that. Hebrews 11.9 tells us this, and look at the text. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his son and his grandson. He lived in tents, like tent people, like homeless people under the, under the bridges and cities and, and, and like, like refugees who have to, and like people who go camping. Those people live in tents. They don't live for very long in tents, um, those people who go camping. Um, they end up with poison ivy like I did last weekend. Um, but he lived his, the rest of his life as a nomad, 
as, as a, a tribe of people who would set up their tent for a while in one place and then they would move on from there and move on from there. All within the boundaries of what was one day be the nation of Israel, the promised land that God promised to his descendants. So if he didn't have all that much and he didn't do all that much or build all that much, why does God find him so impressive that he would make him the the sample, the example of what it means to live by faith for all believers? Well, Hebrews 8 says, it is by faith Abraham did something. He obeyed. By faith he obeyed. When he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, a place he'd never been before, like Tanya said, a place that he didn't know what the climate was like, what it was going to be like at all, he took everything he had, he loaded it up, and he went there. He obeyed. He believed in God and in the promises of God in such a way that when he heard the promise... When he was called by God, he obeyed and then he went out. He didn't just believe and say, well, that's a good thing to believe. It actually worked its way into his actions. It worked its way into his whole life. And actually, his whole life began to depend upon that belief. If you think about this, it's similar to when Jesus called his disciples. When we have recorded in the Gospels that Jesus went up to these men who were fishermen or or wherever they were. And he said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they did it. They dropped their nets and they followed him. So they had that same trait that Abraham had. That he was willing to go, not really knowing what it meant to be fishers of men, but willing to follow because the Son of God, Jesus, called them to follow. They had been prepared somehow by the Holy Spirit to respond in such an obedient way. You see, Abraham put his faith in God's promises. And when God called him to move, he moved. So when God told him, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house in Genesis 12, 1, to a land that I will show you, he went. Now let's just pause here for a moment because if you think about leaving your country, your kindred, your kindred is your family, your father's house, your relatives, those people, the place that you always known, the people you'd always known, the people who give you security and identity, leave that and follow me to a place I'm going to show you. So he didn't even give him a map or, or, or pictures on his phone to say, this is what it looks like there, this is what you'll be doing there. He just said, come follow me like with the disciples and Jesus. This is faith that Abraham actually obeyed and did this. I don't know about you, but I like to know where I'm going. In fact, when I don't know where I'm going, I say I'm lost, right? So, so this, is, this is stretching to us. This is a difficult thing for us because we like to know that we're found. We like to know that we can be found. You know, when we're off the grid or we're off the map, we get a little bit nervous. Like, I don't know where I am. The GPS stopped working. So, you know, my wife's saying, well, well w- which way are you supposed to go, left or right? I don't know. I guess we're lost, right? Abraham was able to trust God enough to follow after him, not even knowing where he was going. I like to know when we're leaving, 
what it's going to be like in the middle of the trip, and when we're going to get home. I like all that information. That makes me feel secure. So what does this tell us about Abraham? His security was not in his family, not in his country, not in his neighborhood, not in his job. His security was in God. Wow. I want to find my security there. Because I don't. Often I find my security in other things. I find myself clutching to and holding on to other things. And then those things change and I get insecure. I start to feel nervous, right? It's a normal human reaction, but God calls us to put our faith, 100% of it, in Him. So that that's who we find our security in, is in our relationship with God. You see, somehow, by faith, Abraham was different than me. Let me repeat, Abraham obeyed God even when he didn't know where he was going. God called Abram to leave his comfort zone and to do something amazing for God. Start a whole new nation, a whole new group of people following after God. When God saw that kind of faith, God made Abraham a promise. He made a covenant with Abraham. So let's just stop for a moment and Think, what is God calling you to do? What is God calling us to do as a church? Do we know? Have we listened? And if we have heard, do we trust what we've heard? Are we willing to step out of our comfort zone and do something we've never done before? That's scary, isn't it? And usually as we get older, it's even scarier. For instance, if you've never gone ice skating and now you're in your 60s or 70s and someone says, let's go skating, you're like, oh, I don't skate. You just put up the wall right away, right? I don't skate. I don't roller skate. I don't ice skate. I don't do any skate. I sit in a chair and I watch people skate, right? But when you're a little kid, you can't wait to put on skates, even though you don't know how and your ankles are all twisted and you're falling and, you know, but you don't care because when you fall, you usually don't break when you're a kid. But when you're older, like us, when you fall, you break. And so you say, oh, no, I don't skate because I don't want to break, right? That issue of trust and that issue of doing something new gets harder as we get older because we have more insecurities or we have more fears. But if God's calling us to do something and it's something we've never done before, and we know it's him calling. We need to fall into line with Abraham and need to fall into line with the disciples and follow him, even though we don't know where we're going. Our security, our safety needs to be found in God. The Apostle Peter was a great example of this when he stepped out of that boat, wasn't he? There was other disciples in that boat Jesus was out walking on the water and he says, come on, join me. And Peter did it. Crazy as that might seem, he did it, right? He took a step of faith and walked on water. He, he gets to now be famous for that, right? We all looked at that and say, wow, I don't know if I could do it. But if you know the promiser of the promise, then it's worth taking the risk. If you know that God is a God who is always with you, 
who will not harm you, but is here to, to bless you and to help you through life, then you will take that risk. But often we ask the question when we're faced with a risk, whatever that risk might be, what's in it for me? We want the risk to be worth it. Often you take a risk, you know, whether you're invest, an investor or you're, you're doing something completely new. You'll take the risk if you know the reward is going to be big enough, right? You'll put that money down if you know the reward is going to be greater than the risk. Well, let me remind you of what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Because this is what made it worth it for Abraham to pack everything up and to go. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. Andrea, did we have these slides? 1 through 8? No? All right. I'll just go over it myself. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is the covenant that God made with Abraham which made Abraham brave enough to step out in faith to leave everything he knew and to follow after God. There's eight promises packed in those three little verses I'll go over them. I will show you. That, to me, is exciting. To let God show you the way to go. He is the shepherd. He's the one that guides us. He's the one. We're not in charge. We're not guiding ourselves. We're not out, the, out there on our own. If someone's going to show you something, I don't know about you, but that, that gives me comfort. Even if it's, you know, here, I'll show you how to use that saw. You know, I don't want to saw off my arm. You know, someone says, let me show you, you know, and then they give you a demonstration, they show you, and then you get, you, you calm down, you, you have more peace because you know that, okay, I saw it happen, I, I saw this take place, I know how to use that. The fact that God himself, the creator of the universe, will show you anything is a huge deal. Let that sink in. So that's the first thing he says is, come with me, I will show you. Jesus says, I'll show you how to make fishers, be fishers of men. I will show you. Number two is, I will make you a great nation. Number three is, I will bless you. Number four, I will make your name great. Has that come, has that come true? Four billion people, over four billion people on the earth revere Abraham as the founder of their faith. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing to others. You yourself will be able to be a blessing to others. That's a big deal. When you get in that blessing flow, you, you can never get enough of that. You're blessing others. God is blessing you so that you can bless others. And, it, and it's a beautiful thing. I will bless those who bless you. So those around you who are part of what you're doing, who are blessing you, will receive that blessing. But I will also curse those who curse you, which to me sounds like protection, right? Right? If someone comes after you and they have bad intentions, God says, don't worry, I got your back. I got you covered. All the families of the earth will be blessed by you. 
This is fulfilled in Christ. Christ is a descendant of Abraham. So all because Abraham believed and obeyed God. Now, don't get this wrong. This is not a health or wealth kind of promise. But what God is saying is that by you putting your faith in him, he notices. And when he notices, he will reward you. He'll meet your needs. The fact that he'll reward you is actually in verse 6 of this same chapter. If you turn back to to Hebrews chapter 6, it says, And without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards. In other words, God rewards those who diligently seek him, who, who, who work to seek after God. He rewards those who listen for his voice and try to discern his voice. He rewards those who study his word. He rewards those who put their faith in his word and believe it and put it into practice. He rewards us as we walk by faith. I don't know if you remember, but a couple weeks ago I had a list of the rewards that God has guaranteed for those who put their faith in him. And I'm just going to read it quickly, but let it sink in. He's guaranteed forgiveness. He's guaranteed his presence. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's guaranteed that he is sovereign over all things, that he works all things together for good according to his purposes. He's guaranteed that he will lead us in his will. He's guaranteed that Jesus will come back to this earth for his church. He's guaranteed that physical death actually ushers into his presence forever. He's guaranteed that we will get a new physical body and that death will one day be vanquished. There will be no more death for God's people. That we will be transformed into his likeness. All the yuck in our lives will be gone because it's been replaced by the image of Christ fully formed and complete in us. And he's guaranteed that one day we will be reunited with all those who have also died in Christ. These are the rewards. There's many more in Scripture, but these are the rewards that God has for his people. So my last point this morning is from Hebrews chapter 10. I mean, chapter 11, verse 10. Abraham, it says, was looking forward to a city that has no foundation, whose designer and builder is God. All of his life, Abraham lived in a tent. He lived in a temporary housing because even the place that God led him to wasn't his final destination, and he knew it. He didn't cling too much to the things of this world. He knew that there was a world that God had designed, a heavenly city that would be his final destination, a heavenly city whose designer was God. Now, that's the kind of city I want to live in. There's no pollution in that city. There's no crime in that city. There's no overcrowding in that city. There's no poverty there. We think of cities sometimes very negatively. Because they're filled with sin and sinners. And people are shot there every weekend. And all kinds of horrible things happen. But this city is a different kind of city. This is the kind of city that God designs. 
And God is a God of love and God is a God of perfection. So can you imagine that city? I can't. I can't. I can't imagine what it must be like. Heaven tells us that no mind can actually comprehend what it's going to be like. But it's the perfect city. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, we see the city, the bride, the church coming down from heaven, coming down. There's a description that the prophet tried to give us, but, but it's the most beautiful thing that you could ever imagine. It's the most beautiful existence that you could ever have. So life here on earth is like living in a tent. You don't want to live in that tent for too long, right? It's just a tent. But life with God forever by faith in Jesus Christ is like living in the most amazing, elegant, awesome mansion you could ever live in. Jesus actually said to us in his word, in the gospel, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God or have faith in God. Trust in me as well. Because in my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas, the disciple, says, I don't know the way. So Jesus, he humbles himself to answer those kind of questions in us because we're, we're children, right? We don't know everything. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. When we put our faith, all of our faith in God, when we... Do what he wants us to do, which is to trust in him completely. The promises of God are amazing. But they're not all for the here and now. They are for the future. So we have to hold very lightly to the things of this earth. We have to make sure that our investment, the investment of our lives, our time, our talents, our treasures is for glory, is for for heaven. We're not here to just build big houses and drive big cars and, 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 and live in, you know, amazing neighborhoods. That's not the existence that God has for his people. He has something much better than the best that we see here. And when we trust in Christ, when we know that it's him alone that gives us salvation, we can walk through that door and be welcome into God's presence. Now, by faith, and in eternity, in every way, completely. So the question always comes down to, can I trust that message? That putting all of my faith in Christ brings me into such a relationship with God that my eternity is actually guaranteed? That's the question every one of us has to ask. And I believe we don't just ask it once. I believe we have to keep asking it to stay fresh in our faith. Because we can, at a certain period of time in our life, draw very close to God, very close to his word, live our lives according to it, obey it, follow it, see the blessings that that come through it, give those blessings to other people. We can be in that flow. But there are times when storms pop up. 
and knock us off course. And when those storms pop up, it does seem like Jesus is sleeping. Wait a minute. What's he sleeping for? He needs to help us. And he's more than willing to do that, but he wants us to live by faith in his help. By faith, knowing that he will help. Jesus was asleep in that boat. If those disciples didn't freak up, freak out, and the boat was starting to go down, and you think that they were all going to drown, think about it. There's just no way. Maybe he had to get a little water on his face while the boat's going down, and then he'd wake up and say, oh, wait, boom. You know, let me put everything back the way it should be. I don't know. But all I'm saying is, Jesus wasn't going to let them down. Do you think he's going to let you down? In whatever crisis that you're in, in whatever situation that you're in, is he going to let you down? I don't mean just in this world, just in these few 60, 70, 80 years, 90 years you get to live here. I mean for eternity. Do you think he'll let you down? Have you read about him? Have you met him? Because if you met him like Abram did, your life would be changed. And yeah, when you go through those storms, maybe you get disoriented and turned around. But look it, the way back is through Jesus. The way back is through who he is and who will always be. He never changes. He's never going to change. He's always going to be a forgiving God. He's always going to be a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's always going to be there for you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. So even when it feels like he has, hold on to the truth of God's word. That's what the preacher of Hebrews is trying to help his people do, is to hold tightly to Jesus. And to everything we know is true because of Jesus. Because they were going through persecution. They were headed to some tough times. Some of them are thinking of going back and not following Jesus so closely anymore. Some of you have been in that situation. I've been in that situation. God calls us to be people of faith and to believe and trust in him. I mean, for heaven's sake, if you pull out a dollar, it says, in God we trust. At least for now it does. Right? You pull out a dollar, it tells you that every time you spend a dollar, in God we trust. Not in money, not in governments, but in God. So the question that we have to keep wrestling with as we go through Hebrews chapter 11 is are we living by faith, trusting God for everything? Not that he's going to make everything go my way or your way, but that he will do what he said he's going to do. He will fulfill every promise that he made us. And Abraham is a very good example because billions of people on the earth today trace their lineage to Abraham by faith. Christians do it through Christ. Others, I don't know. We don't, we're not in the study of world religions right now. But Abraham is revered on this earth today in every nation that exists because God said it. And when God said it, it's settled. Amen? I know that sometimes situations in life are not simply solved. There's very difficult situations. Some of you carry very heavy burdens with you and the burden is still going to be there when you go home. So the encouragement that we need to have is that God is in control and that ultimately in the end 
he settles all of this. He calms the storm. He brings peace to our hearts, believing and knowing God through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, I want to pray for you this morning. If you don't know him like that, if you know about him, but you don't really know him enough to trust him, I want to pray for you before we sing this song. Because I want things to be well with you. The song is, it is well with my soul. Things can't be well with you if Christ is not the center of your life. If, if you haven't put your trust in him, you'll be in turmoil, you'll be in torment without Christ. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your message. We thank you for Abraham and his obedience and his example for us. Increase our faith. Lord, Lord, if there's anyone here who has not put their trust in Jesus 100% for their salvation and for their eternal life, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day that they, they just take the risk, knowing the reward is amazing. So Lord, we thank you for your presence here with us. As we sing this song, would you work in our soul, in our mind and in our will and in our emotions to line us up with Abram, with the early disciples, with those who followed you no matter what because they knew that it was guaranteed that the promises that you have made would be theirs one day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.